Hi everyone, my name is Lizette and I'm your host for the Chiropractic Elders podcast. This is our very first episode and the person I'm interviewing today is Dr. Ken Vag. Hi Ken. Hi Lizette. So Ken is actually my inspiration for this podcast. What happened is many years ago I was living in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and a friend of mine said that she had a friend Dr. Ken coming to Amsterdam and he would love to do his adjusting seminar with us. And if I would like to help him organize that, and I said, yes, of course, because I said yes to many things back then. (laughs) And I just always think it's the best thing is to learn how to be a better adjuster and I'll grab any opportunity to do that. In that time, I got to know Ken and we talked about a lot of things and we can spend many, 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 many hours talking about chiropractic and I love learning from you. And then you saw, you know, you said there's so many retired chiropractors that have so much to teach still, and they just love being listened to. And I thought, well, this is an opportunity that I just can't miss. So I've decided to start interviewing the people that have been in the profession for the longest, because I believe that that's going to help carry forward a legacy and it's going to help us be better chiropractors. So I would like to, to introduce yourself, Ken, and tell us a little bit about more about yourself. Thanks, Lizette. As Lizette said, I'm Ken Vag. I, how I got into chiropractic originally, well, I've been in practice for 45, 46 years this year, mostly solo practice in a number of different places. Initially, when I was a, a teenager, I was a trampolinist and I had quite an injury on the, on the trampoline, hurt my back. And no, nothing much was done about it. My trainer rubbed some eucalyptus oil into it, into my back and said, you'll be fine. Six months later, I bent over to pick up a football on the football field and stayed bent over and uh, couldn't stand up. It was an excruciating pain. And somehow I ended up at, at a chiropractor's office and uh, one adjustment and I was stood up straight. Okay. Pain was gone. I thought, this is fantastic. Gee, I'd like to be able to do this. And he was an old palmer grad, and he gave me a number of books on, on the palmers and, and uh, traditional chiropractic. But in those days, you had to go to America to study chiropractic, and I had no money. So I went to uni in Melbourne, did maths and physics, and came out and did what most people from that course did. They, we went into the uh, into computer industry, which I really disliked. I, <laughs> it didn't suit me at all. And uh, I was seeing a chiropractor, I was about 21, I think. I'd just, just gotten married and uh, saw a senior chiropractor, Bob, and going into how much of his job. And, and he said, why don't you be a chiropractor? Well, gee, I'd forgotten about that. So he'd been to Cleveland Chiropractic College, where he graduated from in Kansas City, Missouri. And he got some application forms and we filled in the application and set it off and was accepted. And the funny thing, there was a funny thing. We just got married. My wife was a, um, a theater sister, in a you know, yeah. and she worked with, um, a very famous surgeon over there who used to manipulate under anesthetic. And of course they thought he was God's gift. And when I told her I was going to be a chiropractor, because she was medically indoctrinated. She thought, my God, I'd marry a quack. Yeah. <laughs> However, we, uh, we were accepted into the college. We snaked up some money. We went over there. And part of the, the process 
in Cleveland Chiropractic College is what the first week you're there, the students, their wives, their partners, everybody got x-rayed. And we started getting adjusted. And, and Liz, my wife, had a, had a history of what they call pleurisy, uh, severe chest pain, and uh, hay fever. She lived on uh, antihistamines. And after the first couple of adjustments, that all cleared away. Went away and she was converted from then on. She, she no longer thought that she was involved in quackery. She, she, Good. Yeah, she was right on board with the whole chiropractic idea. And, uh, so we went on from there and, um, I didn't graduate from Cleveland for a number of reasons. We had to come back to Australia before I graduated and I ended up graduating from Phillip Institute and then graduated from there, split up practice in, in Western Australia and the rest, as they say, is history. I've had a number of clinics, moved around the place, moved moved across the world and started up different clinics and semi-retired. So you told me this story a long time ago, Ken, about the main technique that you learn in Cleveland College and how you use your hands. Can you tell us, our listeners, about that? Well, well, they're two different things because the, the, the technique we learned was miracle recoil, which is a very basic technique. It, to possible contact and a, and a recoil on every vertebra of the spine, but complicated in many ways because you, your position and the patient's position changes depending on which, which vertebra. Just, just for a second there, this is not a technique that has been taught at all anymore, is it? That's great. Because I never learned it and I really yeah. would like to learn how to toggle because I do toggle, but I don't think I do it. Well, you see, it was the basics. It was specific. It was a, it was a recoil adjustment, which isn't completely a toggle, but very similar to the toggle and activates the same group of muscles as a toggle would to pecs, triceps, and anconius. And Carl Cleveland the second, who in my opinion was a genius, he used to talk about when you adjust somebody, you have to visualize what you're doing, what the vertebra is doing, where your hand is, and as you thrust, visualize the spark of energy going from your body to, to the patient's body and how that affects their nervous system. And that was a very valuable thing. So I decided that I would uh, attenuate that and by activating my hands before I started adjusting. Adjustment, it doesn't take very long, but you can sit down and meditate and you can make your hands very hot and, uh, in my opinion, increase the whole, the healing process because you're energizing, you're sending life force to your hands and, and when you put your hands on somebody, that's a very important conversation. Yeah. A conversation with your hands. Yes, between your hands and their body. That's yeah. correct. So back then, you would have had some challenges when you started a practice, building up a practice. What did you do? What challenges did you encounter? And how did you spread chiropractic in your community? Well, there's always the old challenge of the, uh, the, the, the uh, how can I put it? Chiropractors have always not enjoyed good reputations for one reason or another, not because of the chiropractors, but 
but the forces that oppose us. So there's a negative attitude towards chiropractors in the mm-hmm. community, which still persists today. And overcoming that is always a challenge um, and fighting against it and getting people to have the confidence to come and see you because there's some very bad press out there. They don't, patients don't know, even know where it comes from. You know, yeah. like, well, you chiropractors um, hurt people. I say, well, we told you, well, I'm, I know, just hurt somebody. So there's that, but it, to build your clinic, you really, need, there are a number of things you need to do is, uh, is you need to get known in the community. In the early days, in the seventies, you didn't have to get out and get known. You just opened your doors and, and you got to work and people would be there. And that's because we were the only people in the community that were adjusting spines or adjusting anything. So there was no competition. As I see on clinic in England in the um, early nineties and in a very depressed area. And I got on the, uh, I went and saw the Women's Institute, they were called. It's the equivalent of the Country Women's Association. And I had to be auditioned by the, by the board of the Women's Institute and gave them my talk. I got in for about five minutes and we said, oh, where'd you go lecture? And they said, yep, that's okay. What radius from where you're living do you want it to see? And I said, oh, 25 miles. So they, they contacted all their groups and said, we've got a guest speaker for you. Just contact him. So I, I basically built my, my clinic talking to the Women's Institute because every time you speak, you'll get new patients. May not be a, a deluge of new patients, but two or three new patients. And they want to talk to you after you've given your talk and, you know, can you help this? Can you help that? And if they've got confidence in you as a person, they'll come to see you. Yeah. Can you tell us that story? Sorry, I just have so many backstories of you, so I'm just going to prompt you. There was that time when you had to do a talk and there was only two people there. Oh, it was at what they call the health in, a, in Boston, in North Devon. And we booked out this hall and held about 150 people. And two people showed up. And I was going to give my normal lecture. Uh, I memorized the Reggie Gold Lake lecture, the bait, and took a bit over an hour. And uh, two people showed up. <laughs> You know, my receptionist was there and I, I was a bit annoyed and I said, love this, I'm, I'm, I'm going home, not even this. And she grabbed me and said, listen, you make the kids, people have come to watch you and, and listen to you, you know, get in there and give you talk. So I did and felt uh, very attentive, which was nice. And after I gave the talk, they both came up to me and we talked for a while. Those two people became patients. They, their families became patients. Their, their siblings and uh, nephews and nieces all became patients. I reckon I got about 20 patients. There you go. Putting the two people. I mean, the guy Reichman, I went to the guy Reichman too. I was a patient of his. Yeah. When I was at chiropractic college. And there was only two of us then. It was from the white list. And he said, I don't care. That's enough. I've listened to Reggie Gold do his lay lecture on the internet and he's a very 
I don't know what's the word, like he's very strong and he comes across quite a little bit angry, like, you know, he goes, he's got this energy about him. Do you do that as well? Did you do that as well? Yep. Okay. I can't imagine you doing it, but okay. I definitely can't imagine myself doing that. It's more emotional than than anything. Yeah. It's an emotional thing. I mean, and, and I think it comes from being different. We're mm. by, we're not reductionists. We're different to medical people. We've been discriminated against for 120 years in a very big way. And so there is a certain amount of mm, anger or annoyance and, and emotion in this. And this is what we believe. And we believe that we're correct. And yeah. we're, the interesting thing, oh, sorry, I've, I, I, I was at a Reggie Cold lecture in Sydney many years ago, and and yet he was an extremely powerful speaker and very persuasive. And I went and saw him after the talk, and because I knew him in America, and we had a bit of a chat. And I said to him, "What's your conversion rate?" And what I meant was, how many people, what percentage of the people you talk to actually become patients? And he said, "Oh, about two out of ten." I thought, wow, I would have thought it would be nine out of ten. But he, two out of ten, and he would say, I don't know how many people he would see, a thousand people a week, 1,500 people a week. So you don't have to convert a lot of people to have busy clinic. Yeah, that's correct. I just want to circle back to something else you said. You said back in the old days, you guys were the only people adjusting. How does that differ from today? Well, um, we're not being videoed, are we? No. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, good. How is it difficult? Well, there are groups that adjust today, osteopaths, although they were around, mm. around forever, but they were very low key. Physios who always said adjusting is, is very bad, manipulation is very bad. But then they set up a postgraduate course to learn how to adjust and now they're the experts. You know, they, they adjust people. There's a lot of people self-smile. But I don't, I don't really believe they're adjusting people. I believe they're manipulating people, which is different. Yeah, there's a difference. And I don't think that they have this the same ability to specifically analyze the spine. I mean, chiropractors, and there are a number of tribes in, in our profession, but we've spent a lot of time trying to figure things out without the, the research, because I don't believe you can research a lot of these things. And I think we're very good at analyzing and adjusting specifically and with a, with a, with a different intent also. Yeah. It's not just about treating, well, it's not about, not even about treating symptoms. It's about removing subluxations so that the nervous, central nervous system can bring about the healing of the body. The body's always tried to return to a, a state of homeostasis. It's programmed that way. And subluxations stop it from achieving that and from innate intelligence performing their healing. So. Yeah. So what did you do to become a great, because in case anybody of our listeners don't know this, Ken is an incredibly masterful adjusting adjuster and he's done this adjusting seminar. Actually, he's taught lots of chiropractors how to adjust. His daughter, Taylor, has taken over one of your practices and has had it for many years. And I remember 
No, you go to the practice and you teach all the young chiropractors how to adjust. And one of your uh, tests really is you have to, this, this is scary if you're young chiropractor, is you have to adjust again. And then, and then he doesn't tell you immediately how you went either. Um, so Ken is an incredibly masterful adjuster. And so obviously I can't go without asking you, what did you do to become a great adjuster? And what would your recommendations be to others to become better adjusters? Well, first of all, you have to understand what you're doing and you have to, you have to be mindful of what you're doing. I've always good, had good hand-eye coordination. So that part of things comes naturally. As a youngster, I was always interested in fighting techniques, wrestling techniques, not for the sake of winning fights necessarily, but just for technical stuff. And you could, you could feel how other people's bodies would move and you could got, you got a, a sense of how far you could take a joint, um, before it was, before it would snap off, which is a good thing to know. <laughs> But I, I'm, I'm very familiar and very comfortable with working with people's bodies and you can feel how they move and how they respond. So I think it's a combination of things that, that got me to where I am with adjusting. And I loved it. You know, a lot of people, when they first start adjusting, they're quite timid and quite afraid of it. Mm. So one of those, I just couldn't wait to start adjusting people and, and moving, moving their bodies and getting their joints working. So I love it. Yeah, that's a good answer. I love it. So if you have someone that comes to you and they are just starting to adjust and they said, Ken, how do I, what do I do to become a better adjuster? What would you say? First of all, don't be scared of it. Mm -hmm. People are very scared of it these days. Um, that would be the main thing. And then visualize, practice, feel, get a feel for a person's body and feel what they're doing as you're moving them around it or just getting them into position where you want to get them. Get a sense of, of their body. I tried to look, and when I'm adjusting, I tried to visualize their spine. My hands on their spine, and, and what's happening when I when I touch them, and, and when I make the adjustive thrust. So it's a whole range of things, but be confident and don't be scared of it. I you have so I've had so many patients over the years, and this isn't I don't say this in an egotistical way, but patients that have been to other chiropractors and didn't get anywhere, and they and they say to me. Happens a lot. As soon as you put your hands on me, I was, I was happy. Yeah. I knew I was in the right place. Confidence, um, love for the patient, love for what you're doing. They can feel it. So, and also, obviously, you don't do Merry Greek World now only as your adjustment because I've been adjusted by you. Well, so, most, how, did you, yeah. how did you proceed from there? Well, initially, I, I just had to figure things out because I lived in, in the country of Western Australia and there's not much going on. This was before the internet, so I had to figure a lot of things out, simple things like side posture lumbar adjustments. I'd never done those. Uh, cervical adjustments, 
I'd only ever done Merrick Recoil. But then that was the era, for me anyway, in the late 70s. There were a lot of seminars. I studied the SOG, I studied AK, I studied upper cervical, I studied the Zindler technique. Mm. But if it, if, it, if it came to town or it came to Perth or Melbourne or Sydney, Thompson, I did the Thompson technique with Clay Thompson. Wow. Uh, just fantastic stuff. Yeah. And you, I was, I just wanted to learn as much as I could. And if that's one of the things I would say to new graduates, this is just the start. Get out and learn as much as you can. Yeah. Because it's not an exact science. We don't know everything about everything. Some of the techniques contradict each other. And you need a means of narrowing down your analysis. You need to be able to cross-reference. And if you know a number of different techniques, you can do that. And not only that, not all patients respond to a particular technique. And if they're not responding, if you're not getting changes, use a different technique. And it's a weird thing. You, you do the same thing in a different way, and they respond. Amazing. But you must have some amazing stories of people that have changed when you've been able to remove the interference in the nervous system. No, no. Well, one of the ones that sticks in my mind and the one that I talk about a bit was a, uh, a one-year-old baby that had pneumothorax. His lungs had collapsed and doctors told his parents she was going to die. Not another thing they could do it. I, I got the father to discharge him from the hospital because they wouldn't let me go and adjust him in the hospital. I adjusted him. It was a badly sub-like saying. That was, by the time he got back to the hospital, his lung had reinflated. Amazing. And the following day, he was discharged. Yeah. That was, that was, a, that was a major one. I've, I've had recently a, a young autistic girl, four years old, Never spoken. She started to speak after a couple of months of adjusting. And she now looks people in the eye. You know how autistic people get that fake and far away look? Yeah. She's eye contact. Amazing stuff. And the interesting thing is I've had a few patients like that. Another girl that didn't talk, she was four. And after a month of adjusting, she started to talk. The interesting thing is different subluxations. One yeah. was a one was a C4. I still remember it. That's what James said like. The, the other one was a, an occiput and T2. So how does that work? Well, yeah. I don't know about autism. Um, but what I do know is how to adjust people and the body knows how to heal them. That's exactly right. It's amazing stuff. I think I've, I told you recently about a fellow that came in. He'd hurt his back on a trampoline and... Uh, and came in with back pain, and he'd hurt his spine when he was a youngster. He was now 40, I think. And he told me he had alopecia, no eyebrows, no pubic hair, nothing. And, then, and he said he'd hurt his back on a trampoline and all his hair fell out soon afterwards. The only thing I found wrong with him was T12, which I adjusted. Didn't see him for a long time, and I was walking into town one day and saw him coming out of a barbershop. He'd just been in for a trim. Uh, Amazing. And he was annoyed that his hair had grown. <laughs> he was? 
he was annoyed. <laughs> so you just don't know what's going to happen. It, it's, it's that hair regrowing adjustment. That's and awesome. If only you could bottle that up, you would have a line. That's right. But it's, but it's not consistent. And, I know. And you can't predict what's going on. When you yes. adjust, only because it's up to the, the powers of the universe and innate intelligence, what they're going to do. Once it's no spit here. It's the great thing, and it's also the frustrating thing about chiropractic. Isn't yeah. It? yeah. You don't actually know really what's going to change for the person when they come to see you. And they have expectations. And more than that, you have expectations. And it's going to be really frustrating and hard to explain as well. Yeah. I get very good results with, with asthma. But not everybody. Yeah. So all, all you can really say is I will, I will get your spine working properly. Then it's up to your body to what what it does with this. A lot of people aren't necessarily happy with that. They want more surety in their life. Mm-hmm. So they could take a pill and say, well, this will this will fix the problem. But you know, I, I like the other way. It's a bit more exciting. Yeah. And um, it's the real thing, right? It is the real thing. So what goes through your mind in that moment when you're adjusting someone? Well, you've got to be very mindful of what you're doing and what you're trying to achieve. I, I visualize, visualize their spine. I visualize my hand on their spine. I visualize the spark of light. I visualize my innate intelligence talking to theirs. Oh, there was something else I was going to say. Carl Cleveland used to, I'll never forget, he said, there are two brains. There's the educated brain and there's the innate brain. The educated brain is the intelligent brain. It's the one that you use when you're studying, you're learning about anatomy, physiology, neurology. And there's the innate brain, which is the subconscious brain, which actually knows everything and does everything. And he said, when you put your hands on somebody, get rid of the educated brain. Yeah. Because... Now's the time for the innate brain to talk. Yeah. It's, it's, I think that was one of the most profound things that he ever said. And if yeah. you, once you get your innate brain involved, then things really change. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great information. Huge. So, Ken, you have started up your adjusting seminar again. Can you tell us a little bit more about your adjusting seminar? Ah. Uh, well, it, that's good. I, I, look, I decided that there was a need for a number of reasons. The education system has changed. That the emphasis on accurate analysis of the spine and, and accurate adjusting isn't quite as strong as it used to be. Lacking. So I thought I'd get involved and, and maybe impart some of my knowledge to to some of the younger chiropractors, although we even get some of the older chiropractors coming to the seminar. We, we cover a, a wide range of things like upper surgical analysis. We cover the bandies technique, which is a, a brisk adjusting technique, pelvic analysis, a whole range. I think at last count we were we were doing about 12 techniques. The seminar goes for about five hours and we were doing about 12 different that's a lot, yeah. 
And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe modifying that because it's it's a lot to cover. Maybe we could do it over more than five hours, maybe okay. over one and a half day. But amazing. you talk about, about chiropractic and I think the younger guys there don't understand how good chiropractic really is. And I think you, we were talking the other day about statistics of dropouts. It's, it's massive. Yeah. People who stop practicing within the first two years of finishing chiropractic school is 50%. Yeah. And that's not good. currently. That's terrible. That's, yeah. I'm thinking about that. And there's a, I think in my opinion, there's a reason for that. When, when I went through in the seventies, we were excited. We got the BJ Palmer philosophy and we were going to change the world. We were really excited and couldn't wait to get our hands. These days, they're not excited because there's nothing to get excited about. Chiropractic helps certain types in low back pain. Mm. Big deal. Yeah. You're not going to change the world. Yeah. We're going to change the world. We're going to heal the universe. And I think that's possibly more than anything. What's the most important thing? Excitement about what you're doing because Mm. people, it motivates them. Uh, it gets their um, innate intelligence excited. Yeah, it's really, I, I mean, I can't, I still get excited about, I can, it's really interesting. I, I never used to take x-rays and so in the last few years I'm taking x-rays again and I find myself in the middle of an x-ray series thinking, oh, which one am I doing next again? And that's after three years. When I adjust after, I think I've been practicing for 13, 14 years now, I'm still 100%. I know exactly where I am. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly what I adjusted. Yeah. That was the difference. Yeah, it's so incredible. So thank you, Ken. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and talking to our listeners about chiropractic. And we're definitely going to have you up on the, on the podcast again to talk about all that animal adjusting stories you have. Ken is going to tour Australia. If all goes well, Takuda is going to tour Australia with his seminar next year. And we will be sure to let you know where and when he will be there. And you would be very silly not to attend any of his adjusting seminars, if not a p- couple of them. So thank you so much, Ken. Thank you, Lizette. It's always a pleasure to attend to you. Thank you. Good